0: Now I was reminded last week in a very personal way, how much people need Jesus, how much we need his hope, how much we need his love. For those who don't know me, my name is John Rauk, I'm the children's pastor here at Grace. And not only through the services, we saw so many people, and maybe you or some of them who came forward and said, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need some hope in my life. Maybe you were one of them or you were one of the people that came forward. I was glad to see some good friends of ours make the decision to say we need Christ in our lives. And that was very moving to, for me and, and, and for our family. And, and then as we were outside of the Easter egg hunt with uh, all the people that are out there watching our kids dash for those eggs. Not much of a hunt when it's laying right on top, but they were dashing and, and they were getting as many as they could. And as we were getting, after, we were, uh, after that egg hunt, Terry got a call from her mom that her grandfather was taken to the hospital because he was dying. And what's, what's interesting about that is he had just moved here to Indiana last Tuesday uh, to be closer to us, to be in a home where he would be close to us, and he was getting taken to the hospital. And so Sunday after the Easter egg hunt, we went down to Warsaw to be at the hospital with him. And we spent the next couple of days with him and with her mom. And uh, just this morning at uh, 149, he went to be with Jesus. And as you're sitting with someone that you love and and you're kind of reading scripture with them and you're singing songs together and as you're remembering stories of, 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 of times you've had together, when you're close to someone like that who is at the end of their life, all of a sudden your faith becomes so real because that's what you have to hang on to at the end of your life. I mean, nothing else matters at that point. And so I was reminded so deeply this weekend how, how much people need Jesus, how much people need hope. Because a hundred years after our lives are over, the only thing that will matter is if I knew Jesus. Nothing else will matter about my life. Nothing else I accomplished will matter about my life if I didn't know Jesus. People need hope in our world today. People need the love that Jesus has to offer them. You see, Jesus desperately loves people and he desperately wants them to know it. That's why we take a Sunday like this where we talk about the needs that are right across the street from us and the needs that are are around the world. And I would say even the needs that are right down the hall. People need the hope that Jesus can offer to them. He desperately loves them and he wants them to know it. And Jesus' first public teaching that he gave, it's interesting, this, this scripture reading, he, he was in his hometown and he chose, uh, it's in Luke chapter four, it's recorded. He chooses from the prophet Isaiah and he reads this passage where, that was prophesied about himself. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus strategically chose that passage in Isaiah to be his first one that he would teach from because it was the basis for his very ministry. That's why he came to help those, to seek those who needed his saving. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim the good news. And that also serves as the basis of our ministry, as the church of Jesus. If that was his focus, then that must be ours. And we can celebrate Easter because we get to be part of proclaiming that good news. We get to be part of sharing that freedom, that recovery of sight that Jesus offers to the world. We get to be part of sharing that. The worst that the enemy could throw at Jesus, he did at Easter and Jesus cast aside death itself like a beaten opponent. And he stood back up and he said, I'm here to offer forgiveness, to offer hope to the world that desperately needs it. All authority on heaven and earth were given to him, he says. And now he has given that authority and that power to us, his church, his followers, to be his agents of good news, freedom and healing on earth. Listen, Jesus desperately loves people. He loves your neighbors. He loves your family. He loves those people on the other side of the world that you don't know. And he desperately wants all those people to know how much he loves them. That is what he is about. And that is what we must be about if we are his followers. If we are to call ourselves little Christ, Christian, then we must Love people and spread his love. Do you want to be part of something bigger than yourself? Do you want to be part of something that really matters? I mean, something that really matters. And we must be about what Jesus was about, spreading his love. Here we are a week after Easter, and we want to pick up in the New Testament after Easter as well. So turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. How did Jesus spend after that very first Easter? We're going to look today and see that. If you happen to need a Bible, please raise your hand and our ashers will give you one. We want you to follow along today. This is where we get our truth from. And uh, you can keep it as our gift to you if you don't have a Bible at home. Please just keep that as our gift as a church to you. But I want to read the first nine verses here. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Now the book of Acts is a historical book. It records all that happened from the time that Jesus came back to life and went back to heaven and through the first uh, um, years of the early church and how the churches were started and how the, the message of Jesus began to get spread out through the world, that is the book of Acts. It was written by a man named Luke. Luke was a doctor, a researcher. Uh, he was a normal guy like most of us here. He had another job. But he was also a pastor and elder in his church. He was just like many of the people in our church who are ministers here at Grace, but they happen to have another profession. Most of you are like that. His life was all about Jesus, just like yours is. He had another job, though. He was a doctor, researcher. He wrote this book for this man named Theophilus. Let's stand up together and let's read these first nine verses. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Let's read these together. Here we go. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Thanks for reading. You can have a seat. Now he starts off by writing this to this guy named Theophilus. The word uh, that name literally means "lover of gods." So this man was some kind of uh, believer, and perhaps was someone who who funded. Scholars might think funded. Uh, Luke's research. It'd be interesting for you to compare, and so make a note to compare the beginning of Luke. That was the gospel that this author wrote, Luke, and compare that with the beginning verses here in Acts. He wrote the same book, Luke, to Theophilus, and he talks about how he did his writing. He researched uh, all of the firsthand witnesses, the people who had been there and done those events and seen those things, and he explains that. So that would give you some insight as you're reading through Acts, if you would also read the beginning of uh, Luke as well and kind of get his, his um, philosophy and how he did that. And so he, um, he writes this book and he picks up basically where he leaves off in his gospel, right? He says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And in the passage we just read, that's what happens to Jesus, right? At the very end, he is taken back up to heaven and he's hid uh, behind a cloud, it says, and, and he's gone, And so then this book here, Acts, picks up at that point. And as you read through the chapters of Acts, you see the history of the church from that point on. Pretty interesting and exciting stuff um, to read. And he he writes that uh, after his suffering, verse 3, Jesus presented himself and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. It says he appeared to them for a period of 40 days. And that was important because the resurrection is the most important history uh, event that's ever taken place. And and so it couldn't just be confirmed by like one person, like my aunt or my uncle. I think they might have seen Jesus one time. That wouldn't convince the world that Jesus was alive. And so Jesus hung around for 40 days and many people saw him. He says many convincing proofs. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus. Over 500 people saw him come back to life, saw him alive after they had seen him die. And they were still alive at the time that this book was written, at the time that 1 Corinthians was written, that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. And so they could have refuted and said, no, we didn't see him, but they didn't because they had. And so these books and those people are convincing proofs that the resurrection really did happen. We can trust it. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that people knew, yeah, he was alive. And then he comes and he gives some last-minute instructions to, to his followers, to, to his, his little church that was, that was there. And I love this exchange here between Jesus and his friends. Verse 4, it says, On one occasion he was eating with them, and he gave them this command. He says, Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father had promised, which you have heard me speak about. Jesus had taught them that the Holy Spirit would come. In John 14, 15, and 16, right before Jesus is going to the cross, he explains that another comforter is going to come. Another person will replace Jesus and will come into their lives. And that's the Holy Spirit. So he says, I want you to go and uh, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. It says, verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, I like this because the disciples, they have no clue what he's talking about. You know, Jesus would sometimes teach things and they were just like, I have no idea what he's saying. Which is good because sometimes I read the Bible, you read the Bible and I'm thinking, what is that about, right? That's okay, we're in good company. These people are like that too. Like you have to read it a couple times and God is to give you some understanding and, and you ask some other people and, and, and eventually it starts to make a little more sense. But these guys were like, the first time they heard this, what is he talking about? Because here they say in verse six, they gathered around him and they said, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? I know you're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and baptism with water that John did, but I'm not really sure what you're talking about. But I do have another question, and, and they kind of change the subject. It's like, is, is, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Have you ever talked to your kids, if, you have, if you're a parent and you want to talk about something and they just want to keep changing the subject? It happens at our house. I'll say to my son, one of them, I have two, so I, I won't name which one, but it's a good likelihood it's one of the two. And, uh, and so I, I say, I'll say, you know, did, did the cat ask you to trap him behind the couch with all those pillows? Did, did, he, did he want you to do that? And, you know, he'll kind of just look eyes everywhere, but at mine. And he'll say, um, Dad, d- hey, do you know what time the Notre Dame girls play tonight? Uh, I, think, I, think they're, I think they're in the final flight. I think they're on tonight. It's like, nice try, right? That's, that's what we do. And so the disciples, there's an exchange going on. They don't know what he's talking about, but they're like, uh, is this the time now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Um, is this a time now, basically they're saying, when, uh, like, are we done now? It, it'd be great if we just could be done now. You know, can we just go to heaven? Have you ever had days like that? Where you're like, can we just be done with this whole earth thing and, and is this now when you're going to, you know, bring the kingdom of Israel? Uh, can we now just kind of wipe out everybody that doesn't like us? And, and can we go up to heaven and, and just establish your kingdom? That'd just be awesome. You know, sometimes I think that, right? I think, Lord, can I just go to, can I just quit my job now? Can I just tell my boss what I really think of him? And, and, and can, can I, can I just go to heaven now? Like, that'd just be awesome if I could just do that, right? You sometimes have days like that. You have bosses. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anyone in particular. I don't know what you're thinking. And I'm just saying, figuratively, sometimes you think that, right? And, and disciples are like, can we just be done now? And Jesus, of course, says to them, no, listen. Um, it's not for you, he says in verse 7, to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus said to them, basically, listen, you don't have to worry about that. You have work to do. And then he's going to go in and tell them that. And that's usually what he says to us, too. And we feel like, could we just be done now? It's like, no, I, I still have work for you to do here on this earth. You're not done yet. And, and this isn't the center of where we're going to go today. But I, I don't want to just skip over verse 7 without pointing out just a couple of truths that have deeply impacted my life at different times. Verse seven, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. Now, I don't wanna wanna linger here because we don't have a lot of time. It's not where we're going, but there's some important things that come out of this. Jesus says, that's not for you to know those times and the dates the father has set. Listen, there are some things that happen in our lives sometimes that we just won't get to understand. Am I right? There are some things that happen in your life that you, you might never understand. That's what they said right here. Jesus said to these guys, listen, that's, that's not for you to worry about. You, you, you can't understand the times, the dates the father has set by his own authority. One of the greatest things I can sometimes say to, as a pastor, when people come and they have a concern or a hurt or something that's going on in their lives, they just don't get what's going on. I often just have to say, you know, I, I don't know why that's happening. I, I can't explain that. Some, there, there are some things that we just won't know, you know? And, but, but I also love that the verse also teaches that the Father does have set times and dates, and he has authority. Just because we don't know the plan doesn't mean there isn't one. Am I right? Just because we don't know the plan doesn't mean there isn't one. The Father has, according to this verse, has what? Set times and set dates for things to occur and things to happen. He has a plan. He's not up there pacing back and forth those streets of gold. What are we going to do? Did you see the, 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 the events on the news tonight? I don't know what. How we, He's not a reactionary God. He doesn't pray to another person. He, he, he is himself. He, he has it all laid out. And step by step, the history of the world has unfolded the way that God saw it all happening from the beginning. He's not taken by surprise. And so we don't know, but he does know. He has a set plan and set times where things will occur. But I want to get to our main text for the day, but I I felt like I should say that just for the person who needs that word today from the Lord. But verse eight says this, and this is where we're going to be today. But you will receive power. In other words, it's not for you to know the set time. Don't worry about when things will end. Don't worry about when I'm coming back. Here's what you do need to worry about. You'll receive power. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We often want to worry about so many things. We wanted to study this book and study this book and, and tear it apart and figure out. And that's good to do. But listen, at some point, Jesus says, hey, don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to worry about. You will be my witnesses. That's the main thing. I love people and I want them to know it. That's what I want you to build your life around. That's what the center of your life is, is sharing God's love, the sharing the gospel around the world. That's what you need to be concerned about. It's not for you to know times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. But when you receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Earlier I said, I asked if anybody wanted to live a life bigger than themselves, to be a part of something that, that really mattered, to have a legacy that stretched beyond your days on earth. If you want to be a part of the story that God is writing, that he is weaving together with all the other stories that, that are part of this earth, all of our individual lives, he is weaving these all together on this canvas of history to show how he desperately loves people and how he wants them to know it. This verse gives some principles for you to follow if you want to be a major player in that movement. If you want boring, that's okay. But listen, I don't. And so if you don't want boring, then listen up. This passage shows you how to live the life God intended you to live to the fullest that you can live it. And here's the first thing that he says. Here's first principle, number one. You will need power from the Holy Spirit. If you want to live a life that matters... If you want to be a part of sharing the gospel, then you will need power from the Holy Spirit. Like all believers, these men and these women who were standing there, they had tasted the, the, the Holy Spirit, the work of him coming on them as they ministered with Jesus for those three years. As they went out and Jesus would give them things to do, they, they ministry trips to go on, short-term trips like we do. They would, they would see the Holy Spirit living and working in them and, and they were healing people and they were doing all kinds of things. And, and, and he says, listen, he's going to come on you and you're going to have incredible power to, to go be a witness. And they had to be thinking that's a good thing, pow- that power. We need that. As believers in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. If you're one of those people that gave your heart to Jesus last week, you crossed over from death into life. You were given at that very moment the Holy Spirit. And every one of us who, who is a believer of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And he guides us and he prompts us to do things and he changes us. It's crazy. It's crazy. The things that we think once the Holy Spirit takes over our lives, the thoughts we actually have, stuff we would have never, ever done. Now we're, we're directed by him. It's an incredible thing. And that power of the Holy Spirit comes over us. If you feel like you're missing spiritual power if you feel like you have no strength, like it's zapped from you, perhaps you have squashed his influence in your life. I once heard someone say the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. He doesn't kind of force himself on us. He, he, but he, he invite, waits for us to invite him to lead us and guide us. And so if you're not feeling that Holy Spirit's power, if you're not seeing him move or work in your life, and I don't want to keep saying the word feel, but if you don't see him working in your life and there's not evidence of him, then, then listen, maybe you've squashed his power in you. And you do that by disobeying him. If he prompts you to do something, you sort of ignore it. And you're like, no way, I'm not doing that. You begin to less and less sense the spirit of God speaking to you. You quench that, that, that work in his life. But the more that you offer yourself to him, the more that you let him take control of you. And when he does prompt you to do something, when he prompts you to say something to a friend, to write that note, to send that email, to talk to your neighbor, when he prompts you and you follow through, you begin to sense him doing more of that. He begins to talk to you more and you see his word come alive in you. A great thing, a great habit to start doing is when you take your Bible each day and you have your God time and you're just gonna sit down and read your, your scripture for the day. Before you do, just say, Holy Spirit, be my teacher. Show me today what I need from this book, from this word. Show me that, and God, I want to follow you on whatever you want me to do today. Today, I'm offering myself to you. Holy Spirit, fill me, be in charge of me. Show me what I need to do. You begin to make that your regular habit, that your daily asking his word to teach you, and you're daily asking the Holy Spirit to lead you, and you're submitting to him, you'll begin to see his power come out in your life. And those small steps will will become larger steps, and God will keep directing you and guiding you to do greater things. Because what will happen is he'll change you. Because it's not the life that we live for God. It's not the life that we can offer to God. It's the life of God living in us and through us. And we begin to do what Jesus did. And we begin to be who he wants us to be. We can't change ourselves and offer ourselves to him. But when we do offer ourselves, we say, God, I am yours. He begins to come into our life and he becomes us and he changes us. And we start doing crazy things that God wants us to do. We have no power if it's not Jesus' spirit living through us or coming into us. The sign of a Christian is the Holy Spirit. That's the one common denominator that every Christian has. We're so different in our personalities, aren't we? We're so different in our spiritual gifts. The things that we, that we are uh, gifted to do spiritually for God are so different. We're all so broad and unique. The one thing that we have is the Holy Spirit who's driving each of us to reach this world. The, the sign of a true follower of Jesus is, is not church attendance. It's is not a political uh, persuasion because we all think differently on those things. The, the sign of a, a true follower of Jesus is not how polite our kids are. The sign of a true follower of Jesus is the active and the powerful spirit of God on our lives. Because when I give my life to Jesus and when he becomes number one in my life, He flat out changes me. I'm different. And if there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life, if I'm not a new person, then am I a follower of Jesus? See, Jesus changes you when you let him. We heard Terry's story changed him. He moved in him. That's what God is doing and has done in all of us. If you want to be a part of God's plan, you must ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to lead you as you live each day. Second thing Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come on you with power. And then he says this, you will be my witnesses. If you're gonna be a major player in God's story, you will be a witness to Christ. You will be a witness to Christ or or you won't have that major role. The word is similar to our understanding of a legal witness. It's it's a witness as someone who will testify to something that they saw with their own eyes, they personally uh, saw happen. That's a witness. It's not secondhand information. These men and women who were standing here had seen the risen Lord. They had seen Jesus do his work. They had seen his ministry. They were a witness to it. And we are today... If you, have, if you have let Jesus change your life, then you're a witness to that. You've seen the work that he's done in your life. And, and I've seen the work that he's done in many of your lives. And, and you are a proof to me of the existence of God. I've seen God at work in your life. You're a new person. Your marriage is new. You are different. And that says to me, God is real. He, he's existent and he's changing us and he's changing lives. If you've been a part of our church for, for any period of time, You've seen God move. You've seen God work. Have you been a part of another church? You've seen the Spirit of God do things that should just grow your faith bank that says God is alive and he's active and he's working. And so we have seen firsthand what God can do. And witnessing is not passing along a teaching that we have heard or learned Witnessing is not a testimony of something that someone taught you. No, witnessing is you. It's your life. It's your words testifying to the miraculous work that God has done in your life. You are a witness firsthand. Witnessing is not a teaching about God. It is a testimony about God's movement. This is what God's done in me. This is my story. This is what I saw God do in my neighbor. Listen, I got to tell you about this guy I heard about at church today. This is what God is doing. We are a witness of what God has done firsthand. We've seen him move. See, part of growing up spiritually is taking in those faith moments yourself. Becoming a firsthand witness and then sharing those with others. Part of you growing in your relationship with God is you seeing and living out as God leads you. You begin to see God move and you take in those faith moments where your faith grows and then you just share those. You just talk about what God is doing and what you've seen him do. And that is what a witness is. That see, faith is not personal and private as many of us believe. It's not That's not the faith that I read about in Scripture at all. No, faith is practical and it's public. It's a public thing. People see my life. My neighbors, they they look at me. Your neighbors, they watch you. Your friends, your coworkers, they see you. And if they know that you're a follower of Christ or you claim to be a follower of Christ, they, they see the evidence for God or the evidence against God in your life. You are a witness. It's just how effective is your witness. But you're a witness to Christ in some way. It's not a private thing. It's public. It's practical. And the evidence, the practical evidence in, in my life for God either draws people toward Christ or repels people away from him. But there's no question that each of us are witnesses. Are you effectively pointing to God's love for people? Are you a witness to the, to the movement of God in your life? And, and, and are you sharing his love with the people that you come in contact with? See, there's power in your story. It can change someone else's eternity. Listen, God can use your story no matter what it is. You just got to tell it, just tell your story. Our stories are powerful because, because we, we value what other people say. If someone tells me hey, I need to try out this new restaurant, I'm a lot more likely to try it than if I just get an ad in the paper because I value what this friend told me. And he says, it's good. I'm going to go try it, right? Well, my parents are here visiting us from Pennsylvania. and They're here this week. We took them to get a, a deep dish Chicago pizza. We said, you got to try this. It's good, right? And I think my dad said last night, that's the best pizza he's ever had. But he wouldn't have gone and tried it if I, if he hadn't, if I hadn't told him or taken him to go get it. See, People value your opinion and if your story. No one can argue with your story. If you tell your coworker, let me tell you what God's done in my life. He can't say that's not true because it's your story. You know it happened to you. No one can argue that. They can't, they can't debate you on that. They can debate you on theology. They can debate you on other stuff, but they can't debate your story. This is, my, this is what God's doing in my life. This is how he's changed me. No one can say that's not true. It's, it's my story. I know it. He did it. That's what a witness is, is telling the story that God is doing. Think of it this way. It's not supposed to be this difficult thing. When you love somebody, you want others to meet the person that you love, right? When Tara and I got engaged, we told the world about it, right? We, we didn't keep it a secret. We, we didn't, you know, we weren't like embarrassed, like let's not tell anybody that we're engaged to each other, Right? That wouldn't work very well, all right? That wouldn't be a good, strong start to a marriage, right? If we don't want to tell anybody. No, you want people to know the person that you love. You want them to, you want people to meet them. And, and so, you know, when we got engaged, the first couple of weeks afterwards, every time we'd go to, to a friend's house or a relative's house, after being there for a few minutes, I would hear this, ah, this screeching and this screaming because Tara had just told someone else, look, we're engaged, Right? Because she wanted to share that news with her friends, with with her family. And and I would do the same thing. I would tell people, I we wouldn't scream or anything like that, but, but we would but we were excited too. You know, they, they'd they pump me or you know, or, or they just kinda nod like, Good job, man, or whatever, you know. But we still did it. We, we want people to know. True story. I got stopped by a police officer after I deposed, proposed to Tara. I told him. I said, look, I'm just excited. I just got engaged. And uh, you know what? <clears throat> he let me off. So it worked out all right. <laughs> you know, we want to tell people. We want people to know the person that we love. Listen, listen, listen. If, if, if I've tasted God's grace in my life, if he's meant anything to me, if I love Jesus, don't I want to talk about him to the people that I know or the people that I meet? Don't I want to say, listen, this is what God can do in your life. Can you just give me a few minutes? Can I just tell you what God means to me? Can I just tell you what he's doing? And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be this long thing. You don't have to be scared about not knowing enough of the Bible. You just witness, you just talk about what God's done in your life and what he means to you. And you say, listen, would you come? Uh, and, and and come try church. Would you come listen? How many people are here today because someone at some point simply invited you, said, "Hey, just come, come with me to church." Hey, can I tell you about God? Don't ever miss out the power of an invitation, of an invitation. I told you my neighbors walked across the stage last Sunday. It was a simple invitation a year or so ago. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Sometimes I'll say, hey, I'm a pastor. You know we're going to talk about this eventually. Can we just talk about it right now? Can I, can I just tell you? You can do the same thing. You say, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love him. He's changed my life. We're going to talk about this eventually. Can we just do it right now? Can I just tell you what God's done in my life? Can I, can I ask him if, if you know him? You don't have to be weird. You don't have to be goofy. It's just real simple. It's like that. And, and, and the, you are, your life is a witness, and they'll watch you, and they'll see you, and they'll say, wow. I need God in my life too. We are a witness. And and we're going to see how this story ends. We sort of know it, but I'm going to try to bring it about. It's pretty incredible. Okay, so Jesus says you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be a spirit-controlled witness for God of what he's done in your life. And then finally, uh, he says you'll follow him wherever he takes you. If you want to live on mission for God, you'll follow him wherever he takes you. He told them, you're going to preach not only here in Jerusalem, but in Judea, in Samaria, the people you don't even like, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel is going to go. And I had to believe these people were sitting there thinking, are you serious, Jesus? I mean, there was only 120 of them at the time. I mean, we we could probably cover Jerusalem. We could probably split ourselves up and go share, share about you here. But I mean... We don't even like this. Why would we go there? Uh, The ends of the earth? No way. Really? Is this going to happen? They probably wondered. They had a good thing going there. 120 people. Jesus was their pastor. That's a really good church. I'd like to go to that church, you know? And and he wanted to break them up and send them out and, and do crazy stuff with them. Listen, we don't have to choose between local missions and global missions. That's why we're a church that says across the street and around the world. There are people here that we need to reach. Missions isn't only sending money and sending people to other countries. And missions isn't only just doing work right here. It's both. We have to be concerned about our community. 75% of Elkhart County still doesn't go to church somewhere on a Sunday morning. Don't ever get tricked into thinking, well, everybody that I know goes to church. And you don't know too many people or you know the wrong people. You need to get to know people who don't go to church because most people in our county don't. We have a lot of work to do here. We're not done. We can't look back at the last 10 years and say, look at what God's done. This is good enough. There is a lot of work to do. People still need Jesus. People still need hope. We have it to offer them. But that doesn't mean that we're so focused in our community here that we don't look elsewhere around the world to see what God wants us to do as well. There's a great need around the world for people to know the hope that Jesus has to offer. And so don't be scared to go somewhere. If God says, I want you to move, I want you to go. Sometimes I'll hear people say, I can never move, my family is here. Listen, my family's not here. I moved because God told me to move here to Goshen, Indiana. It wasn't my dream, But God said, come, and, and, and we've been a part of what God has done here. And I am a better man, and we're a better family for it. And you may be missing out because you're not following God where he wants you to go. God says, you'll be my witnesses. Yeah, here in Jerusalem, but maybe in Judea, maybe in Samaria, maybe the ends of the earth. And you know what? Those, those people who are sitting there wondering, is this really going to happen? You know what? It did. Because here we are, a long way from Jerusalem. We are the ends of the earth. And somehow that story of Jesus's love got from that little, that little group of people in Jerusalem all the way to Goshen, Indiana. And you know it, and I know it, and Jesus has changed our lives. He, he, this is one of the greatest prophecies to ever come true. Jesus has reached the ends of the earth. The the world is being reached as we know, and and we wanna be a part of it. There are people who still yet don't know, and we want to be a part of what God is doing around the world. We want our lives to count, don't we? We want our lives to to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Guess what? You are. You are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, and we are the most powerful force on earth. The most powerful force on earth, when we live out His call, under the power of the Holy Spirit, being a witness to Christ wherever He takes us. Now how will you take part in this privilege that you have to be a part of this movement? Three simple action steps to take away today, and we'll be done. Number one: tell your story at least once this week. Your neighbor your friend, a stranger, a co-worker. Listen, tell your story once. It's not, it doesn't, it's not complicated. It's not scary. It, just tell them what God's done in your life, but do it once this week, okay? That's part of being across the street. Uh, two, um, pick one of our missionaries. They're, they're, they're listed in your bulletin. It's real simple. There's a whole sheet there. Pick one of those. And if you're a single person, Pray for them weekly for the rest of the year. If you're a family, your family can pray for that missionary weekly for the rest of the year. Just pick one. You don't have to be overwhelmed and pick them all, but we got 32. If we split them up amongst all of us, we can pray up all of our missionaries so they are ready and just, they're just foam at the mouth to take the gospel wherever God has them. And they're going to be a powerful force this year because we're going to pray behind them. And so pick one of those missionaries and you pray for them each week this year. You begin to maybe even encourage them and send them a note and let them know that you are behind them. But you adopt one of those missionaries. Number three, also listed on that bulletin, uh, uh, that insert are all the teams, all the things that are happening this year at Grace. A lot of them, I guess I shouldn't say all of them because we don't know. We've, we follow God sometimes He gives us new ideas, but the ones we know about right now. And you begin to pray about one of those teams. Maybe you, this is the year you're gonna go. You're gonna go on one of those teams. Maybe you're going to go to China to smuggle Bibles. Maybe you're going to go to inner city Philadelphia this summer. Maybe you're going to go to Haiti to to care for orphans. Maybe, I don't know what you're going to do, but this is the year you go, you go. And if you're not able to go, then you're going to support one of those teams. Financially, you're going to support one of the people or you're going to pray for that team while they're going. Three really simple action steps. I think God will change our church if we take them seriously. Lord Jesus, we need you in our lives. Holy Spirit, we need you to come over us. We need your power. We need you to to invade our space. Lord, would you do a great work? Would this be the starting point of Grace Community Church's greatest days? Lord, would we be a church of grace? Lord, people can come as they are, we sang, as they are, because that's how you accepted us when we came. And Lord, would you then launch us We heard great testimonies today from the gang Lord, the Wagners, how you're moving in their lives. Recent Christians, a couple year old Christians, and and now they're stepping out and serving you and doing great things for you. God, that's each of our stories. We each can be a witness of the work you've done in our lives. Holy Spirit, if it's not from you, it, it won't matter and we won't have your power. So we're inviting you. Would you please lead us? Would you guide us? fill us. You're in charge of my words. You're in charge of of my life this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.